competition for attention is harder. I think right now there are so many voices that for an audience I can imagine it's really difficult to filter out which are the relevant voices to listen to. But at the same time, I feel it's easier for you to get a voice and be heard. Welcome to Speak Like a CEO. Today, Oliver Oust and Lena Carlson meet up with Trin Lefebvre. Trin has a very diverse background. She started her career as a lawyer, worked internationally as a consultant in Hong Kong, New York, and London, and now she has founded her own deep tech startup, Nometree, in Berlin, a kind of Amazon Go for your pocket, as the Handelsblatt recently has described it. Let's get straight into it. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Speak Like a CEO. I'm Lena Carlson, and I'm here with Oliver Aust. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Lena. Our guest today is Trin Lefiedler. She's the founder and CEO of Berlin-based deep tech AI startup Numitri. And Numitri has developed technology that we may soon use on our smartphones for our food shopping, for instance. And they've done it in a way that protects our data. This is a wide-ranging and really insightful conversation, so let's get right to it. Absolutely. I think data protection is actually one of our biggest USP of our technology because since it's embedded AI, the AI algorithm runs directly on the um, devices, meaning you don't have to transfer any kind of video data stream anywhere to any cloud, so it never ever leaves the device. Meaning you as a shopper will know that, you know, this data that is recording what you do, etc., will never ever be leaving the devices. So you have full control about it. It's actually never even safe on the devices. Um, just to compare, normally in the current kind of like cloud-based AI applications, you always have to upload the video streams to a cloud. There it will be analyzed by the algorithm and then the results will send back to your application or device whatsoever. So you really have to trust the person yeah. um, that they are doing and deleting whatever video stream they have of you, right? And, you know, that's kind of like a little bit of risky. Here, you know, technically it cannot be safe or kind of like misused because it never leaves the device. And, and we can use it now or when will it be available? Well, no, we're really working very hard to, to get it on the market. We have seen a lot of demand from the market. Right now, we are uh, getting into a beta testing phase with one of the global kind of like supermarket chain. And once that's really going well, and I'm hoping that's going to be by the end of the year, then we're going to be able to pilot it and roll it out on a bigger scale. How exactly would this kind of pilot look like then for consumers? Yes, so the pilot would be just that, you know, we're going to identify with some of our partners specific uh, supermarkets and there we're going to roll out the, the technology and then, you know, test it with real customers. And then, but then there will be people standing around and asking people for feedback. Um, there will also, and they just, you know, gather information where we can improve, where we can make better, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also a... Um, uh, an application within the application that lets everybody to kind of like, you know, um, give feedback on, on how the customer experience are. Fantastic. Let's talk about you. I mean, uh, it's interesting, your your journey to co-found Nomitri and now you're the CEO. You went to Harvard Law, you, you worked for big management consultancies. So how did the, uh, how did the idea come up to set up, co-found uh, a deep tech AI startup in Berlin? To be honest with you, I think I never, for myself, never do like 10 years plan. I think I always go, you know, step by step. Um, I think it started out when I was with, uh, with uh, uh, when I was a lawyer, I just really uh, feel in myself that I just love to 
go and work somewhere where I can see the world rather according to opportunities rather than risk. And so it was for me, it was, you know, kind of obvious to go more into the business side of things. And when, once I, um, so I joined this strategy management just because um, for me, that was kind of an alternative um, to doing an MBA, being, you know, kind of a, a lawyer that I was with no kind of business knowledge. And then after that, I went on to go to the business side as a manager. And uh, I think there, I was just waiting for a right time to feel that I have the right idea with the right kind of partners that I want to uh, team up with and then to set up my own company because, and, and then I think the idea was always trying to do something that is new, that is innovative, um, would just be amazing because I think the inspiration for that part came from my kids because they, you know, with them, I, I just really found, you know, yes, you can do, maybe you can do another e-commerce platform, but I think the true things about where I think I could contribute more is like, you know, bringing people together, bringing resources together and trying to help people to do much more of a new things. I was just going to say your experience as a lawyer, obviously it takes a really long time to become a lawyer, you know, mm-hmm. from studying and then the actual practical part. Mm-hmm. What are some of the skills that you picked up during that time that have been really valuable or transferable right now as an entrepreneur? Absolutely. Um, and I actually can recommend lawyers to become founders because there's so many things that you learn there that it's helpful for me, at least right now. First, I think as a lawyer, it's really good to um, I learned very much the art of storytelling when I was a lawyer, right? Because it's always about arguments. Um, there's a case and then you find, you know, different kind of evidences, put them together in a very good kind of like consistent story to, and make your case. And that's the same thing that we do right now. Whenever I do a pitch, uh, whenever I do try to, you know, persuade people and win people over for my case, it's always about clarity clarity of thought, clarity of arguments, and always supporting that with facts and evidence. And I think that's something that I definitely learned as a lawyer, both in writing and in, 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 you know, in speaking. So that's the one thing. And then, of course, as a, <laughs> as a founder right now, it's actually good to have a legal background because then you can do your negotiation and your, um, your contracts and agreements yourself, um, which is also is good because you know, then you have most control about what you do. It's interesting what you're saying, and I agree that as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you need both clear thinking, but also clear mm-hmm. communication. Otherwise, you can't mm-hmm. win people over, whether that's, you know, people you want to work with, partners or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, employees, uh, investors, you name it. You mentioned yeah. that you're now also quite excited about, um, you know, telling the story and going out and talking about the company and, and, and your story. So tell us a little bit about how that came about and uh, what exactly you're doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Okay. So I think for me, it was, I think in the first 12 months of our company, I really, um, you know, I really said that we are working in stealth mode, right? Because for us as a deep tech company, it was always about focusing first, okay, let's get uh, the proof of concept that technically, because we are doing in very cutting edge areas, um, nobody knew whether it's achievable, what we plan to do. So it first was about, you know, concentrating the whole team and my effort as well, just to look inside and just work and getting a solution uh, technically. And then also focusing on working on the 
on the product and then going out with some, you know, testing the idea with real customers. So it was never about, you know, going out and spreading and telling the stories. Now that we have a product and that now that we are almost to have it uh, market ready and we are about to need to find like further partners for piloting and, 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 and testing, um, that was then just for me a natural point where I just like, okay, now that we have done our homework from internally, it's about to go and then spread the news and tell the story to get more, you know, people excited about it. Because I think a big part of this um, work that we do is also about explaining and telling people about new opportunity that they can do with new technology, right? It's not about selling, but it's also about telling the story about the opportunities and the potential that you can do with this technology. Because since it's so new and cutting edge, people, you know, a lot of people that might not have heard about it. A lot of people don't know that this is doable to create AI application that small that it can run on edge devices or even smartphones. And so that was the point in time when I just said, okay, now let's really go out and do that. And I guess traditional sales and business development, if we weren't in a coronavirus kind of like crisis right now, would be just go to a lot of fairs and conferences, which is right now not so much an option. So that's why then I realized, okay, I need to switch gear and change the channel. So how do I can still reach a lot of people um, without be, and tell them about, hey, this is there's a cool new uh, technology plus, hey, there's a new cool uh, product that is out there that's quite add value to you. How can I reach them um, without, you know, the normal uh, channels that, that you use to tell people about new technologies and new, um, new products? What was your biggest learning there? My biggest learning, that's a good question. Uh, I'm still learning every day, to be honest with you. I think my biggest learning right now for me is that um, it's... Uh, it's about a comfort zone, a new comfort zone that I am not familiar with because normally I, I love to do new things and I love to take on challenges. But here is something that I thought, okay, this is so, normally I would see myself more as an uh, introvert person and here you need to be much more extrovert and come across with a very clear storyline and a very clear message, um, which is fine for me. But I think the mixing between personal Plus, um, and combining that with our overall matches as a company, that linkage was not clear to me before. But I do understand that, you know, in order to convey certain messages, it's so much stronger to bring it and link it with also a personal yeah. message and a personal story. And that's something that is a little bit uncomfortable for me, to be very honest. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I totally learned that it's really helpful and it's very impactful. Yeah, very much so. And, and what are your next steps now in terms of reaching out to more people, maybe to the media? Um, have, you, have you set your sight on any, any particular targets? Uh, no, I think I just really go there step by step. I, I, I know, you know, in theory, what I need to do or that I need to build up a community that I need to reach certain kind of specific kind of like um, uh, audiences um, and have to target and identify them. And then there's about finding the right kind of channels um, and uh, to, to, to reach these people. Um, and I think also there's a, so that's the kind of like more company purpose, company mission, right? Find the right target group, find a mess effective kind of channel to reach them. Is it more media? Is it more podcasts? Is it more print media, um, et cetera? Or, and then I think the bigger picture would be then 
um, what kind of story beside the product um, do I want to convey? You know, this is then getting into the discussion that I think is really important to contribute to uh, would be like, you know, um, what kind of um, technology usage do we want to take out of uh, AI, right? Um, what is the, 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 the compromises and the trade-offs you need as we as a society wants to pay and are comfortable with taking the benefits of new technologies like AI, but at the same time, how much are we willing to give up things like you know, data protection or privacy, and where can we do that good trade-offs, or where can we push further to um, limit the, the risk of one each? So I think that's the kind of like discussion I now have decided to get into, because I think they're really important, and I think they are part of a bigger mission of our company. When you say get into this discussion, what exactly do you mean? Yeah, well, I'm hoping to, um, by publication and by taking part in, you know, uh, conferences, in panel discussions, that kind of things to be able to add another voice into it, maybe a voice that has a little bit more of a, you know, a pre representing less of a, you know, a, a, a concern but rather like you know seeing it from the potential but also offering at the same time a tech an alternative technology that allows you to do both so that's the kind of like public discussions that i'm trying right now to get into yeah no that makes sense and then coming back to the topic of communications and getting your message out there and connecting with the right audience mm -hmm. do you think this is harder or easier now in 2020 i think it's it's both right I think right now there are so many voices that for an audience I can imagine it's really difficult to filter out which are the relevant voices to listen to, right? Uh, so that's a little bit harder. So competition for attention is harder because there's so much out there and all of that is maybe of the same in-depth that people deserve to hear. But at the same time, I feel it's easier for you to get a voice and be heard, right? Because there are so many different um, I think, you know, means and people and, and platforms to be able to raise your voice. Um, so I think the challenge is here, for my taking, is really to um, understanding a little bit. I think it's more, since there are so many platforms where you can make your voice heard, it's about, about, um, it's about finding and identifying for each platform the right tone and the right message. Although staying, you know, true to your core message, but I think every so so from from what I learned on my you know year long experiences is that communication is always diversified and needs to be tailor made to each kind of like context and and audiences, right? Um, because I've been working in so many different areas of very different kind of people. I've been working in at Wall Street doing billion dollar deals with private equity guys where the language and the art of communication is so different than when I was working, for example, in a steel plant trying to help them in North, North England to restructure their business and save their jobs, right? So different kind of people, different kind of things. So you really always have to adjust your language and your message to the audiences. And I think it's the same thing now that I'm facing, right? Because since we have now so many different platforms and different channels where you can make your voice heard. The challenge is, uh, once you identify your core message, the challenge is to understand each 
coloring each context of each platform and then adjust your messages to that so that they can understand your messages. You, you alluded to the difference, uh, cultural mm -hmm. and linguistic difference between uh, communication at a seal plant in Northern England and the billion dollar deal at Wall Street. Mm -hmm. I think we can all imagine that that was a very different experience, but what was most surprising mm -hmm. about the, the difference between the two or any one of those? I, I think it's not about surprising. It's just rather the interesting part. I think it's about understanding where I stand in all of that, in the different colors, where I fall naturally uh, or where, where my natural kind of like communication style falls into that. And then knowing that, then adjusting my um, communication um, respectively. Uh, so let me just give you a very concrete example, right? Um, I think <laughs> I'm being said that I'm a very kind of focused person, which I guess is, is a little bit true. So, um, and so when I was working in this Wall Street kind of uh, environment, I guess most of the people are also very focused and output driven. So messages, emails are sometimes very short, very just to the point and without the normal, usual kind of like, you know, how are you doing and a little bit small talk thing, which I think in that context and within that culture is totally fine and never nobody gets offended right with you just shooting email over like you know uh um you know where's the uh, the the document for xyz uh we would need it by da 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 it's 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 just like you know because it's so transactional um and then when you come back and then work in a different environment where people are much different when where they put emphasis on you being really also kind of like personal to them because it's important for them um the key learning for me was like you know, understanding where from this big scale from left to right I fit in naturally and then adjusting myself to that other field where I'm not so fall, where I'm not so, you know, at home naturally. So just to give you an example, um, when I came back and got in working in more in this kind of the, uh, environment where people are more about the, you know, the personal link, um, I would always start writing my emails with like, you know, my core messages. And then I would go up again in the very beginning of the email and then writing like, oh, how are you doing? Last time I saw you, it was this and this. And we had a very nice chat on that and that, you know. <laughs> so it's about learning. I think the biggest lesson is about learning about yourself. And then, and then I think once you know that, it's really easier to, for you to then adjust to the various colors or cultural contexts or whatsoever. Surprisingly, this is actually something we haven't really touched upon um, in Speak Like a CEO yet is how your kind of communication or your style of communication can change in different environments. Um, and you just gave us a really good example. And it also reminded me, Oliver, of the example you also give in your new book, Unignorable, about kind of going from, you know, head of communications at an organization to leading your own. I wonder if you had anything else to kind of add or comment based on your experience to what Trin had to say. Yeah, I, I was listening with great interest and, and Trin made a very good point here. Um, I think I had the same experience and maybe everyone is going through the experience that you, in order to find your own communication style and who you are and in a way in business, um, you, you look for role models, you look at role models and mentors, but you also look at um, maybe people, organizations, and, and you define yourself in a way opposite to those and this is sort of triangulation if you like that uh, you have role models and you have um, you know terrible examples and then you you triangulate and you find yourself and I, I, funnily enough I do the same thing with emails and you know often I'm very 
refresh and transactional in my emails. Oh, oh, yeah. oh moment. I'm not going to send this. I'm going to go back to the beginning. I said, Hello, I hope everyone is well. Um, you know, that's maybe not my most natural communication style in writing, um, but but it's definitely good and helpful. And email can can come over as something very brush as well, which which it shouldn't, but sometimes just is, right? Because we spend so many of those a day. So but very interesting. You're right, Lina. We haven't really talked about that an awful lot in about what, what uh, you know, 100 episodes or so. So. Far. <laughs> Yeah, it's also, I think, maybe just an interesting point now, because a lot of us this year have had to experience the whole working from home, uh, which was maybe not a normal part of life. And you found that your style of communication also had to adapt to the virtual space. And sometimes you actually had to give a little bit more time to things, just because stuff that would seem very casual or simple in the office now seems kind of rude online or, uh, you know, things get lost in translation. So I just think that was just a really interesting point about how communication is not a static concept, but, you know, it changes over time just as we change in every other aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think it's what we're doing right now is a big, huge global experiment, right? We're moving this whole communication that we have online and virtual. Because I remember when I was with Wayfair, I was leading the sales team. And one of my core messages for new people that starts there is that I realized that a lot of people are getting upset with each other because they're just chatting or communicating uh, virtually. So they would always just like when, 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 for example, one of my salesperson has like a problem with uh, technically, she would just shoot like a a chat message to this IT support guy and then he would shoot her something back, etc. And I realized sometimes that these guys are so frustrated with each other, right? And then sometimes I would just give them a recommendation. You know what? He should sit like one level below you. Just walk up and walk to that person and talk with him in person. And then it turns out that it was so much better because then they can really kind of like have a proper discussion. And there was also, I think sometimes when you write something, you don't imagine that people read the same words in a different context. And so my recommendation was always, you know, go there and um, and talk with them because then you can avoid this mis- uh, understandings and I wonder what would work now with uh, that you know the majority of discussions are now moving completely online and virtual yeah that, that, that's true I think sometimes just a, a simple telephone call um, you know as we did in the old days and just call someone and say hey you know hope you didn't get this the wrong way and this is you know uh, maybe you know had a bad day or maybe it came across in, in a sort of wrong way um, just just look for the conversation, have the conversation, whether it's at the coffee machine in, in real life or just on the phone or on a video call. I think it's just that human element which sometimes gets gets lost in you know, mm-hmm. the daily video conferences, which start every 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to come back to um, sort of audience-specific communications, um, which we talked about before. And um, I, I was wondering, does Nomitri have any investors or does your... Has your Wall Street experience um, helped you in, in raising uh, you know, funds for, for the company? I would not uh, link that to my Wall Street kind of like uh, experiences. It was, it was uh, I think, rather before I started Nometry, I was a CFO also for AI um, startup here in Berlin. And I was helping them to get a bridge financing um, and I think that experience was much, much uh, better for me because there was the first time that I get into this whole kind of like fundraising thing. So I knew what to expect. Um, and I, based on that, I was able to luckily to build a very good network of investors in, in Berlin, but also um, in London and, and elsewhere. So that helped me a lot. 
Um, but then, of course, when we got into the transaction, you know, doing the documents and doing the negotiation, of course, it helped me a lot that I was once also a big negotiator um, for big deals. And so it was, you know, kind of good to know the psychology, right? Because negotiation is all about um, psychology and understanding what the needs and the expectation of the other um, party is and then trying to align that with your own and then trying to find a solution that is hopefully for both parties a win-win situation that makes sense do you feel excited for 2021 or are you anxious or (laughs) what's your outlook (laughs) that's a good question i think um i think i'm a optimistic for 2021 just because i think right now it's so dark (laughs) with the upcoming lockdown and uh, i think we're going to go through a hard fall winter and I actually I warned my team about that already two months ago when we did our town hall sessions so I think when we I mentally think that the, the autumn winter will be hard but I think the better it will be then for the next year right uh, when spring comes back and things will get better and all that so I think the outlook for me personally is just that it's going to be great because we're going through a hard time and when we, we survive that we will just be feeling stronger <laughs> But it's going to be a tough fall. <laughs> what are you most grateful for in this sort of tough, tough year? Oh, there's so many things that I'm really grateful for. It's just, I think, hmm, it's good questions, though. Um, I think it's, I'm really grateful that I actually had a, I was lucky enough to do a good tithing, that I set up my company in time and I was finished my financing round before the whole thing started in spring. And then also during this hard time, um, having my own company. I know it sometimes sounds weird because people would like, are you concerned right now? Yes, but at the same time, I think there's no better time to be your own boss right now because right now you um, you don't have to be afraid that somebody's laying you off because you are the boss and you know um, you know, and you you can have the control about it, um, and so it's it's it's. A, I feel right now at this time, it's a good thing to be at the place where I am. Although of course it's tough. It's it's hard, it's tough to have all the responsibilities, but at the same time, I feel I have in this situation much more control about what I'm doing. It's definitely a good approach. Thanks so much for chatting to us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for chatting to us at such a pivotal time uh, in, in Nomitri's history, uh, from stealth mode to story mode. Thank you, Trin. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, Lena already mentioned my new book, which is out called Unignorable. It's out on Amazon. So if you want to check it out, if you're interested in those kinds of topic communications, personal branding, do have a look. I would appreciate it. And uh, well, see you next week.